0: If you guys have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 3. We're going to finish out the chapter this morning. And we come to the second division in the book of Romans this morning. It's actually a pretty exciting section of Scripture. There's just one problem. It doesn't do you any good if you don't understand the three chapters that came before it. I don't know if you guys... Discover the same thing about yourself. Um, I am a sinner. Really, I'm broken. I don't work right. I don't. For some of you, that may be revelation. If Kathy was here, she has no problem understanding that. (laughs) We've been uh, putting together, fixing a tent trailer. Um... And so we've been putting things together and we had it had some mold in it so we had it all opened up and we scrubbed out all the mold and we got that all cleaned and, and uh we had it aired out to smell nice and so that we could use it. You know, we we want to go park it at the beach and sit in it. Do you guys notice what happened yesterday? So the so the tent trailer's open and 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 getting cleaned and the rain comes. So I tell I tell Kat, "Yeah, we better close that thing up or all the work we've been doing is just going to come right back and it's going to fill up with water. So we went out and we said, have you ever tried to close a tent trailer? Why do they make it so dumb? So every possible thing that could get caught or stuck or something got caught or stuck and it slowly began it was drizzling a little you know when we started then it start raining a little more and then it starts raining a little pretty pretty soon it's pouring the buckets are landing on my head the whole inside of the tent trailer is now filled with mud cuz I keep having to go inside and figure out why the stupid slide won't slide and we get that all squared away finally get it all the way down and buttoned up and it's plumb full of water do you ever feel like all the work you've been doing was just a waste of time? And my attitude during all that was just perfect. <laughs> I've had this same thing happen to me before. We were camping with Fritz and Joni, I was talking about this morning. and We were out at uh, Porcupine Springs, right? And so they had gone, they were smart. They seen the weather coming and they went. I said, oh, I just want to squeeze a couple more hours out. So we waited a couple more hours up there. About the time I got to go, it's, I'm, I'm out of time, we have to go home, it started raining. And it poured on me the whole time I'm out there working. It poured on me until I was done hooking everything up, you know, and, and unhooking everything and getting everything connected to the truck. And so I was all complaining and being bitter and I... Get into the truck after it's all done. I slam the door and I'm kind of looking up into heaven like, Oh man, I know you're up there. And right then it stopped. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes God gives us those moments to remind us we're broke. We forget. We forget that we're broken. We forget that we are little sinner babies with a propensity to do wrong. Nobody ever has to teach us that. With a propensity to have a bad attitude. And what happens sometimes as we as we uh, I don't know, spend more time in the faith, trusting in Jesus, we lose touch of that. We lose touch of, of who we are. So the first three chapters of Romans were there to remind us so tell us not to forget who we are. The first three chapters of Romans, they teach us about our collective guilt. Every one of us, we have bad attitudes. We have miserable thoughts. We have horrific things that run through our mind. Some of us have horrific things that have run through our life. And what we need to understand is that we have offended the Creator of the universe. We have belittled Him. The problem is sin. Period. Sin is the biggest problem we have. And having a proper view of it really helps us to understand the miracle of justification. The miracle. But here's the reality. We have... uh, a twisted worldview. Many times our worldview, uh, though we may call ourselves Christian, our worldview is what I would call a natural worldview. It's a kind of worldview that comes naturally in our thinking. We don't have to think about it, we just are this. We tend to think of our world as uh, man being the central part of it. And man's rights, and man's needs, and man's expectations are central. So that everything outside of our world, everything that we relate to, everything that we interpret, we interpret through the lens of man's rights, man's needs, and man's expectations. And that worldview is, well, Paul calls it the mind of the flesh and the natural man that cannot discern the things of the spirit for they are spiritually discerned what we need is a a truly biblical worldview and in a truly biblical worldview it's radically different from the other because rather than man being central now God is central and his rights as our creator And his goals for our life. And do you see how that will radically change the way you interpret your world around you? When the central point or the central figure is not man himself, but God himself. And if we can bring ourselves to that way of thinking... We can begin to understand what sin is because, see, we misinterpret sin all the time. We think about sin in terms of what people have done to me or what I have done to others. And while those things are in and of themselves sinful, that's not the main essence of sin. The main essence of sin is that we belittle God, we devalue Him. And we place greater value on some other thing. We dishonor him. That's sin. We see it pictured for us in the scriptures. In 2 Samuel, you'll remember David. his sin with Bathsheba, right? And he killed Bathsheba's husband. Just by way of of introduction, which could take a long time. Don't worry, we'll get right back to Romans chapter 3. But listen to what, what David said. Um, actually this is what Nathan was saying to David in Second uh, Samuel twelve nine. why have you hated the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight for you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you have hated me God's talking through His prophet. He's saying, you hate my word and you hate me. See, sin dishonors God. Now, I'm not saying that David didn't do something wrong to Uriah. Obviously, he killed him. But the point is, the real offense of sin is God. And it helps us have... legitimate view of what sin is and we stop treating sin lightly and we stop thinking of it as some little thing or or, or some magical concept that's been removed out of our life and we don't have to worry about anymore because that's that's really not what the scriptures teach us to fully understand the miracle of justification which is what we're going to talk about today we gotta have an understanding of sin we gotta have sin in its rightful place See, we're born in this world with a terminal disease. That terminal disease is sin. As we walk through our life and we ignore this disease that we have, we end up doing damage to others and to ourselves. And so we are broken. And we are in need of mending And it is Jesus Christ who has come to do that job to mend us. That's the miracle of justification. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus came to fix that problem. It's the main problem in humanity. Look, the main problem is not who our president is. The main problem is not what, what our government is doing. The main problem is not the persecution against Christians around the world. The main problem is not the economy. The main problem is sin. We are broken. And, and things happen in our life that make us ignore it. And pretend it's not there. And we have a bad view of it so that we miss the miracle of justification. Once a year, the high priest, on the Day of Atonement, they would kill the sacrifice and the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And seven times he would sprinkle on the mercy seat, the blood of the sacrifice. And that offering once a year is what gave opportunity for the men and women of Israel to apprehend redemption. You see, in that single sacrifice, the price was paid for the whole nation. But every day, or every time that someone sinned, they were called to bring the sacrifice and make it personal for them. One, the day of atonement, was one sacrifice symbolizing a sacrifice for the whole nation. means the whole nation, the wrath of God, has been appeased. But now each person was responsible to apprehend, to personally apply the blood to their life. So every time they sinned, they were to bring an offering. A sacrifice. And by walking in faith, trusting that God would do what He said He would do through that action, they were redeemed. To live a life without the offering every time you sin, but just to look at that one offering that occurred, well, the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 calls that willful sin. To ignore your need personally and to reject the sacrifice that has been made so that you can receive forgiveness of sin. There remains no sacrifice for the one who has rejected willful sin. we are to appropriate what God has done once and for all in our lives by faith, daily, moment by moment. Minute by minute, to live in faith means I live trusting that Jesus' sacrifice paid the price for my sin once and for all, but I have to make it personal. i got to make it personal. It's my sin, my brokenness that He mends in the sacrifice that He made once for all. And I'm called to walk by faith, appropriating that gift day by day. Listen to Paul's summary, his summary of where we are in Romans chapter 3. We're just going to pick it up from verse 10. Listen to the summary. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, and their tongues have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known for there is no fear of god before their eyes that's the condemnation of man not some men all men everyone you may never have acted on some of these concepts but it doesn't stop the thoughts from being in your heart you've felt them you are capable of them and you are guilty of being broken before a God who desires to make you whole. That's the miracle of justification. Look, David understood it. Just flipping your Bible over to Psalm 51. We'll look at Psalm 51 real quick and then we'll, we'll be caught up. Look, in Psalm 51, to the chief musician, a psalm of David and Nathan the prophet, when Nathan went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, This is David's heart after Nathan said to David, You are that man. David said, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. See the whole point of Psalm 51 is David acknowledging the fact that he had belittled God. That he had dishonored him, that he had valued sleeping with Bathsheba above the Lord. That he had valued killing her husband above the Lord. That he had belittled the value or worth of God. Who in his word declares to us the one thing that God's looking for. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. So to value God as less than the most extremely valuable thing in creation is to sin. That's the condemnation of man. This is the condemnation the Word declared. That light has come into the world, but men loved the dark, not the light. The men loved their sin. Not their God. That is the condemnation that is upon mankind. And if we're not careful, it's the condemnation that's upon us because we can live our lives professing some kind of faith and living our life with no value toward God at all. The Bible throughout the Word of God warns us of of a a condition. It's a condition of a a professor Rather than a possessor. Do you guys get what I mean? A professor is someone who says the words. A possessor is someone who laid a hold of the sacrifice and applies it to their life. By faith. Trusting that what he said, he will do. And that's the warning that Paul was laying out for us in Romans 1, 2, and 3. Let's take a look now. We'll pick it up at verse 21 in Romans chapter 3. We'll read it together. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So being justified freely by His grace... Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness. That He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus So where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before You. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in tune with You. That we recognize that we are in vital need of that which You came to give. God, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that... That our heart would be, I don't want to live my life belittling God. Devaluing His glorious worth. And thereby missing out on what He has for me. God, I pray that our eyes would be open to the miracle of justification. I pray that we would recognize the need we have. That we are to, by faith, possess what you have given us. God, we pray you be glorified in this place. Open your word that we might see in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 21, the, the word lays out for us our need for righteousness. We have a need for the righteousness of God. And it begins with two words, but now. But now in the Greek means this is an extreme and crazy contrast. But considering the sin and the brokenness and the mangledness of mankind and the problems that are within our heart and within our mind and our, and our, and our willingness to reject really the things that God has laid out for us, in light of all that, God has stepped in. And in contrast to that, He has given a gift. He has worked a miracle by which and through which He saves mankind. All who put their faith and trust in Him. But now, God has stepped in to our sinful state and made His provision for us. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. What is the righteousness of God? Look, the Word of God teaches us three things about the righteousness of God. One, God is righteous. Two, God demands righteousness. And three, God provides that righteousness. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He is perfect righteousness. He is that which is always right. He declares in his word, "Be ye perfect as I am perfect." He demands a righteousness for mankind, but mankind's broken. We talked about it, right? He's broken. Our tendency is not toward righteousness. It's toward sin. So God provides righteousness apart from the law God provides righteousness what he's saying is there is an act of God by which he declares you and I to be righteous positionally awaiting the day when you and I become righteous in his presence Until that time, we are in a position of righteousness. That means Jesus Christ covers us. I'm not righteous. I sin every day. There are problems. I'm still a broken person. At the end of the day, I'm still broken. I still, moment by moment, day by day, need to rely on the presence of God and the power of His righteousness bestowed upon me through the sacrifice of His Son to make it, moment by moment. Everyone is in that place. We must have that miracle of His righteousness given to us. Justification. We gotta have it. Positionally, it's over us. One day, we'll see Him face to face, and it, we will be that righteousness. But for now, it's positional. It's granted. It's added to our account. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. By faith we are made righteous, positionally in Christ. His righteousness becomes ours. Apart from the laws, Nothing you have done, will, do, can do to get it. It is apart from the law. The scripture lays out for us. It has been revealed. It was witnessed, however, in the law... And the prophets. So how was it witnessed in the law and the prophets? Really simple. You guys remember when Moses was up on top of Mount Sinai and he's getting the Ten Commandments, God's writing it in the stone, and he came down, do you remember what else he had with him? Yeah, he he was radiating the presence of God on his face. He was radiating the fact that he had been in the presence of, of supreme worth and value, and God gave him not only the law... But a sacrificial system. How was Israel made righteous? It wasn't by the law. The law never made them righteous. What did the law tell them? They needed the sacrifice. They needed to live their life trusting moment by moment, day by day, in the sacrifice. So that God would pass over their sins. So that God would pass over their sins, they would rely. So Moses was given. How did the law testify to a righteousness apart from the law? They did it every day. The sacrificial system pointed to the need, the desire that they had to have. They had to live their life trusting in the sacrifice because they knew they couldn't keep the law. Now what they ended up doing is trying to make a bunch of loopholes. You guys heard of those, right? Make loopholes so that you somehow can weasel your way through uh, uh, obeying the law. But God, he said, the righteousness that I give, the miracle of justification, I foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament. In the law, you saw it in the sacrificial system. In the prophets, you read about it. Every prophet talks about the sacrifice of the suffering servant. The greatest one of all is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 tells us exactly what Jesus was going to do. How he was going to take our transgressions upon himself, just like a sacrifice, and make us, those who trust him in faith, right with God. So it was witnessed, it was spoken of in the law and the prophets, it was spoken of in that place. What? Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe. It's not something that we did. It wasn't because we got baptized. Or it wasn't because we, we, we did a catechism. Or it wasn't because we passed a class on new believers. It wasn't because of anything we did. It was receiving, apprehending, possessing a free gift that God did. It's all His work. Him. Him. Not me. He did it. I appropriate it. And I appropriate it every single day by recognizing I have offended God. I have devalued Him. And moment by moment, day by day, I need to live my life according to 1 John 1 9. Which means I confess my sins. And He is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. He makes me Holy, positionally in Christ, I am apprehending day by day by living my life in faith. Folks, that is faith. That's not work. That's faith. That's trusting that Jesus' sacrifice once and for all, personally appropriated into my life, makes me clean. But to not appropriate it, to not make it a part of my life, is to continue to live in habitual sin. And God, God would not have us to do that. He would not have us to do that. His righteousness, revealed apart from the law, is received by all and on all who believe. Believe. But listen, when we talk about belief... I'm not talking about intellectual assent. When I was a kid, I didn't get that, guys. I didn't get it. When I said, when I was a kid, I believe, I was saying, I believe Jesus existed. That's what I was saying. I was saying, I believe that He he was a man and He he was born and He he walked on the earth and Christmas is about Him and and Easter is about Him. The Bible says in Romans 10, just flip to the right a few pages, Romans 10 It's a guideline of, of... Coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It tells us how that occurs. Romans 10.9 Romans 10.9 says this If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus We've heard this before, right? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus That word confess is a very simple word. It means to say the same thing he said about himself. Do you get how important that is? To say the same thing Jesus said about himself before Abraham was, I am eternal God. He said, I am the Son of God and I am the Son of man. He said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. To confess the Lord Jesus means I agree with him about what he said about himself. I confess the Lord Jesus, and I believe in my heart God raised Him from the dead. What does that mean? I put faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that through His resurrection I can now appropriate the sacrifice and be made clean myself. I live by faith, trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ to make me clean. I believe God raised Him from the dead. I believe in the resurrection. I believe He died and didn't stay that way. My faith is in Him, His finished work, the accomplished work that Christ has done. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. With the heart, with the heart, the heart is the seat of our emotion. For them, the heart was the seat not only of the emotion, but of the mind. It was, it was all the feeling. So with the heart, one believes. One, one lives a life of faith unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame or disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. How many? All who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I just got to confess that he is who he said he was. I don't get to make a a God in my own image. I don't get to make a God in the image I like. I receive the God of the Bible. That's why the Word of God is so important. Because through the Word of God is how we know Him. Through the Word of God comes faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. i got to appropriate and apply what God's Word says. This righteousness of God, this miracle of justification is received by all who believe. Who put their faith in His finished work. But look at verse 23, because it tells us it is required for all believers, or for all mankind. What's it say, verse 23? For all have what? Sin. So how many need salvation? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It don't matter how fast you are. You know, I'm not very fast. I remember, like, in fifth grade, it was kind of an important thing in, in elementary school to be the fastest kid in school. And, and and I was, like, maybe one of the top three. But back then, I probably weighed 60 pounds. I'm a lot more fifth graders these days. In fact, a couple of years ago, they actually, we have a, a church softball team. They actually kicked me off a team. Can you believe that? Well, I don't know. If you ask Pablo, if you say, Pablo, did you kick Jackie out? He's, oh, no. I didn't kick him. I just told him not to come no more. (laughs) I think it had something to do with me rounding second base, trying to go to third once. And somewhere in my head, you know, there's a lot of huffing and puffing happening, but just not all that much speed getting built up. And the ball comes into the third baseman, he catches the ball, so I dive. Because in the old days, I used to dive everywhere. Been diving dive home, dive in the third, dive in the second. Dust flies everywhere. Yeah, there was not too much dust this time. Apparently, the big gut acts as a break. And when you hit the ground, it just, bloop, stops you. And the third baseman held the ball, and he just waved at me. Come here. So I'm not too fast. Now there's there's guaranteed somebody in here a lot faster than me. Let's say we pick the fastest man on earth and me. That's a pretty big gap, right? The fastest man on earth and me. We stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And we run as fast as we can and leap off of the edge. On the way plummeting to our doom, the guy who was faster than me could brag. I made it further than you. Well, congratulations, you went further than me. We're both dead. Neither one of us can reach the other side, can we? Nope. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not God. Therefore, we need the miracle of justification in our life. But look what the Word tells us. It goes on in verse 24 to say, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate in the present time His righteousness, that He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith, in Jesus. Being justified freely. That word freely is kind of a word that really helps me be pretty stoked. Well, that word comes up in, in the Gospel of John. John 15, 25. Jesus said, using this word, they hated me without cause. Same word as Freely. Do you get what that means? Being justified, being made right with God, being enjoying the miracle of salvation, the miracle of justification without cause. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing. It's given freely how by grace, unmerited favor. Something that cost Christ everything, but us Nothing. So it's free, without cause, given, free. This this justification, this salvation through redemption. That word redemption. Look, the Word of God tells us that redemption is a required state. We must be redeemed. That word redeemed is the same word used of a slave who not only was bought, purchased, but purchased and set free, taken out of the market and given freedom. See, you are in a slave market. You're in a slave market to sin. You live and breathe in a broken world, and we are broken people. But the miracle of salvation, Jesus Christ gives freely, without cause. We did nothing to earn it. He purchased us to set us free so that we might experience, for the first time, life, and life more abundantly. But that life is is grounded in Him. Holy, completely in Him. Listen, Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood. That's how He bought us. <coughs> he bought us with His blood. Colossians 1.14 Whom we have redemption through His blood. He bought us. <coughs> Through His blood. In Hebrews 9.15, And for this reason, He, Jesus Christ, is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions, under the first covenant. He bought us by His death, by His blood, for the transgressions. You guys know transgressions means something you did on purpose, right? Right? Transgression means God wrote a line in the sand and we went across it. We saw the line, we just went across it. Jesus paid for those transgressions. The brokenness that is within us, He paid that we might be mended, that we might be made whole in Christ, but we have to be redeemed. Look, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth, He, he put Him on display. He put Jesus Christ on display as the propitiation. That's a big old fancy word, isn't it? How much do you think propitiation gets you in Scrabble? (laughs) Propitiation. It means to atone for in substitution. But I think we're missing it. The Greek word here is the word hilasterion. Hilasterion, all throughout the Old Testament, is the noun used to name the top of the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the Ark of the Covenant really is just the box, right? It's just the box, square box, into which is placed the the broken Ten Commandments. Different symbols of the brokenness of man are placed in there. Manna, why, why is manna placed in there? Because God called the bread from heaven, what's it? Jesus said he's the true bread from heaven. What'd they call him? What's it? So what? what? What what good is this? They took Aaron's rod that budded when mankind rebelled against God and said we, we would just want to decide for our own self who God has chosen. God showed them that he chose Aaron by making this rod his walking stick bud with fruit. That was in there. The rebellion of mankind, the dishonoring of mankind, the breaking of God's law, all that was placed in the box. It was two pieces. The top of the box is called the Hilasterion. Remember? Two cherubim facing down, looking down at the top of the box. The two cherubim. Cherubim in the scripture always speak of judgment, they're ready to judge. Remember when the angel of death came into Egypt? How was it that the angel of death passed over a house? Because of the blood that was placed on the doorpost, right? They placed blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And God said when the angel flies over, he sees the blood, he passes over. He passes over the sin. So once a year, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies with hyssop. Hyssop was like a a, a branch, a, a bushy branch. And He would dip it in the blood of the sacrifice and seven times He would sprinkle it between the cherubim. And as long as the blood was between the cherubim, there was no judgment. God passed over their sin. But they were to live a life daily appropriating the sacrifice. Making it personal. You guys get what I'm saying? It has to be it has to be a personal thing, not a, not a corporate thing. I walked into the church, and everybody in the church believes, so I'm a believer. It doesn't work that way. It's got to be personal. He has to be your personal Lord and Savior. It's got to be something that is a, a part of your life. So the hilasterion, the mercy seat, was a place upon which the blood was placed through which God was able to provide mercy that's the whole point God set Jesus forth he made a demonstration of Jesus Christ so that he could extend mercy to whosoever will so he could give mercy to whosoever will you guys know that in 1 John chapter 2 it says that Jesus Christ became the propitiation by which he Save the world. Understand the picture that I'm painting for you. He's the picture of Yom Kippur. There's no more sacrifice needed. He's the sacrifice. But if you don't make that sacrifice personal, though the payment was made so that you could be saved, you will not be redeemed you're only redeemed because you made that personal. You lived a life by faith in that sacrifice. His blood was enough to pay the price for everyone, for all the world, but only those who come to Him in faith, believing, trusting, put their weight in Christ, their hope in Christ, their trust in Christ. For them, that sacrifice is redeeming. For the others, they are living a life of habitual sin. Apart from the sacrifice, appropriating the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave. He became the, the presentation through which we see the mercy of God. Look what the word says, that God set him forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. You guys see that? By His blood, through faith. Some of your Bibles may say it differently. <clears throat> if it does, your Bible's a little better than some of the others. The idea here in the Greek is that the faith is in the blood that Jesus shed. The faith is in the sacrifice. The faith is in the sacrifice that through faith, in the blood shed for us. Through faith, we see... The mercy of God extended to us by grace. He makes us positionally clean. Then the scripture goes on to tell us. <clears throat> to demonstrate His righteousness. Jesus is the demonstration of the righteousness of God because in order for God to be what He said He is perfectly holy and righteous He cannot just overlook sin (coughs) He can't overlook it in the Old Testament He would pass over their sin. They'd sprinkle the blood He would choose to pass over their sin so He's showing the righteousness of God because someone had to pay somebody had to pay and you can't Somebody perfect. Somebody holy. Somebody righteous. So God paid Himself. He came in the flesh. And He paid. So that we, through faith in Him, might see the righteousness of God. God judges sin. You know where He judged it? He killed His only begotten Son. So the righteousness of God is revealed in His forbearance, and the patience that God expresses. For everybody in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the sacrifice. For you and I, we look back to the sacrifice. But it was all that one moment in time when God Himself would become the Lamb. Genesis 22, Abraham took his son, remember, offered his son up on a mountain. <coughs> the Lord said, Abraham, go to a mountain that I will show you there. Offer your son as a burnt offering. He in obedience went. And then He named the place. Genesis 22, yahweh Yireh, For in this mountain, He said, it shall be provided. yahweh Yireh means the Lord will provide Himself. The sacrifice. That mountain is called Moriah. On one part of that mountain is a city called Jerusalem. On another part of that mountain is a place called Golgotha. The place of the skull. The place where the Jews used to take people and stone them at the quarry. Which became the place where the Romans would crucify same mountain. God presented Himself the sacrifice. Man couldn't pay it himself. Man can't fix himself. God came to provide. Now that sacrifice is provided. But if you don't make it personal, it don't save you. If you don't make it personal, just knowing that Jesus did that, congratulations. Well, no, I believe Jesus died. Well, good. Do you think the demons don't believe that? Well, I believe there's one God. You do well. The demons believe that and tremble. But they're not saved. Why? Because they don't appropriate it by faith. They don't live every day by faith in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made. That's our job. To live every day holding on to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, confessing with our mouth, believing in our hearts. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not anything we did that will restrict us. It's not anything we can do that we can can accidentally lose it. It's just something we have to put our faith in. The just, the saved, the righteous will live by faith. So he demonstrated his righteousness because of the forbearance God had passed over all the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at this time, today, right now, his righteousness. So that he can be just, that means right, and the justifier, that means he can make you right. He can make you right. He can make you whole. He can take the brokenness of, of your life and He can make it make sense if we just live our lives in faith in Him. We live our lives trusting in Him. It's His work. He does it. He accomplishes it. He makes it happen. He's done everything that He needs to do. <coughs> and He waits. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is patient. Aren't you glad he was patient and waited for you? I'm glad he's patient and waited for me. He's patiently waiting for some today still. For some today to say, you know, I need to, I need to appropriate. I, I, I don't need an intellectual assent. I don't need to believe God exists. God assumes you understand that part. I have to appropriate. I have to apply the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I have to live by faith in His sacrifice for me. Day by day, I live by faith that He makes me whole. Now I am whole positionally. That means in Christ I am made whole. One day I will be whole permanently. One day I will be like Him. He says we will, be, we will see Him as He is. We will be like Him. There will be no more sin nature for me to struggle with. There will be no more of that brokenness inside of me that wants to dishonor God and wants to value everything else above Him, wants to value a motorcycle more than God, wants to value a gun more than God, wants to value some other thing in my time as more valuable than spending time with God. There will be no more of that brokenness. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 7, no, the things I know I ought to do, I don't do those things. I struggle with doing the things I'm supposed to do. I have a body of death. Who will save me from this? Brokenness in me. Don't you see the miracle of justification did that? Jesus Christ made us just as if we'd never done it. Day by day we appropriate it by faith. That He died for me personally. That He forgives my sins personally. Personally, my own brokenness, my own dishonoring, that I like David can cry out, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore right spirit within me. Make me righteous. Put the righteousness of God over me. That's what it is to put our faith and our trust in God Almighty. For the scripture goes on to tell us in verse 27, Then where is boasting? How can I boast if everything is what Jesus did? What do I boast about? Well, I had to pray for forgiveness 50 times today. Yeah, I had to pray 51. Oh, congratulations, you're a bigger sinner than me. Not too many people boasting about that, is there? What do we boast about? All the things we think we did that by some way earn us a right standing with God. We don't earn a right standing with God. Where is boasting? It is excluded. The righteousness of God excludes all boasting. By what law? Of works? No. The law of faith. That means boasting is excluded because it all is occurring because I simply trust in the finished work of Christ. He finished it. I believe it. So therefore we conclude. That's a mathematical term. That word conclude means we look at all the evidence and we have added it up. That man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Man is saved because he believes. He puts his weight, his trust in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who has become my sacrifice, my Yom Kippur. And I will live daily, moment by moment, appropriating personally His sacrifice, His blood in my life. And by that blood, I am receiving the mercy of God. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is on the mercy seat. Once, forever. Now is he the God of the Jews only? Or is he also not the God of the Gentiles? Anytime you read a book in the Bible with lots of questions, you need to understand that that book was written to Jews. If you ever go to Israel and you sit down and have a conversation with a Jew, you are going to have lots of questions. That's how they discuss. That's how they talk. So what, what, is God only the God of the Jews? Is He the God of the Gentiles? No, the righteousness of God bestowed upon us by faith means that God can be the God of Jew and Gentile, of everyone who breathes air on the face of the earth. So since there is one God who will justify the circumcised and the uncircumcised by faith, one God saves us all. Ephesians 2 verse 14, it says this, For He Himself is our peace, Jesus Christ, who has made both Jew and Gentile one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, the problem, the struggle between the two. That is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances. That means the law that condemns me as a guilty, broken, a sinner before a a beautiful, righteous God. So as to create in Him a new man made of the two. Thus making peace that He might reconcile them both to God through the cross. Putting to death the division. Jesus Christ, He brings all people into one place, that through faith we might all be saved. Doesn't matter if you're slow like me, or fast like the Olympic sprinter. We all fall short. And we need Him, day by day, moment by moment. So do we, do we then make void the law through faith? Is the law worthless? He says No. On the contrary, we establish a law. He's going to talk a lot about that, but let me give you just a few ways that the law is established. One, by paying the penalty. What was the penalty? The soul that sins must die. Who did that? <clears throat> Jesus Christ. Why is His death different than my death? Because He was sinless. And I am sinful. If I die, I'm just paying for what I owe. If He dies, He's paying a price that He did not know. So... <clears throat> the penalty is being paid, and it establishes the law in Christ Jesus. The law also leads us to the Messiah. Listen, Galatians 3.24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be saved, justified, made righteous by faith. The law, we establish the law when we come to Christ, when we come to the Messiah. And it makes it possible for all believers to fulfill the law what yeah romans 8 3 and 4 for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh god did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's how it establishes the law. Look, all this stuff we talk about today is beautiful, miraculous. Because I am a broken man and Jesus promises me mending. Mending. I am bent toward evil still. But Jesus makes me right when I live my life by faith. Trusting Him personally, not for the sin of the world, mine. My sin. That's how we are justified by faith. We trust that He Is the answer. If you don't know you're broken. I pray that God will show you. If you don't know you need it. I pray God will show you that you do. If you don't have it. A personal trust. For your personal sin. Then you need it. You need it. For there is salvation only in one name. Jesus Christ, there is no other name by which we must be saved. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me? Let's pray. I'm gonna have Fritz go ahead and come on up, and the worship team can come on up. We're gonna, we're gonna. If we got elders here, prayer councils here, you guys come on up. We're gonna do one song, we're gonna do a song of invitation. A song of invitation means we're gonna we're gonna play just like the invitation that God has given to us. Whosoever comes, whosoever calls, will be saved. And there's some of us here today been living our life like we don't dishonor God every day. And there's some of us today who whose life is marked with habitual sin. And we've never appropriated the blood of Jesus Christ in personal salvation. Well, you've got an opportunity to do that right now. We're going to play this song. Fritz is going to play it one time. We're going to sing it through one time. And while that song's going, you have opportunity to come forward. These folks are up here to pray with you. To introduce you to a faith in Jesus Christ. Or to pray together with you that you might be forgiven and established that the concept that I, day by day, live by faith. I don't live by faith by one moment. I live by faith every day. Moment by moment. There's no greater place or greater one to come to than to come to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that You would meet us in this place, that Your Spirit would move, that those who don't know You would come forward, that those who do would renew their commitment. Lord God, that You would be everything we need for you are of the greatest value far exceeding all things in life lord we pray you move by your spirit in this place in jesus name